My message today is entitled, Do You Know the Trees? God created man and woman and placed them in the garden. He surrounded them with all the beautiful things of life. And on his personal tour of the garden, pointing out different things that he created, God pointed out two special trees. One tree at the center of the garden was the tree of life. As Adam and Eve ate of the tree of life, they were given eternal life with God. Genesis 2, verse 16. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in that day you, if you eat of it you shall surely die. There was, see, there was also a tree in the garden that was forbidden. This forbidden tree was called the, was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And all that Adam and Eve had to do was to enjoy all of God's creation, to eat of every tree, to enjoy everything He created. But don't touch the forbidden tree. You know how it is when you can do everything, but you, it, it says don't do this, and the part of you says I have to do that. You can do all this, but don't. Well, I, I just I can't resist. They have to do it if I'm told I can. That's that's that sinful nature that we have. But if as long as they ate of all the other trees and didn't touch the forbidden tree, then they could continue to have access to that first tree, to that tree of life. But as we know, they failed. They chose sin and temptation over obeying God. The temptation was not the fruit itself, but rather the desire to be like God. You see, a lot of people describe that as the fall of man. It wasn't the fall of man, it was the rise of man to be like God. Given into this temptation, Adam and Eve disagreed with how God created them. They just were not content. They wanted more. And rather than obeying the One who gave them all of creation to have dominion over except for one little tree, they decided instead to listen to the lying, deceptive serpent who twisted the truth of God how many know that that same serpent is still twisting the truth of God today? Thus, Adam and Eve sinned against God to satisfy the lust of their flesh, the lust of their eyes, and the pride of life. It's the same way that the enemy still tempts all of us today to take his lying and deceptive bait, telling us, It'll feel good. We deserve it. It will empower us. And it won't really hurt us. Of course, these are all gross misrepresentations of sin. And when we choose to disobey God and His clear orders and commands, there is naturally a consequence. How many know growing up when you disobeyed your parents there was a consequence? How many of you enjoyed that consequence? No. So when we disobey, there's naturally a consequence. For Adam and Eve, 
they faced an extreme consequence because not only did they bring sin into humanity for the first time, they would now pass on down this inherited sinful nature to every human being for the rest of time. Their sin would prevent them and prevent us from being in the presence of God. And because God did not want them to live forever in their sin and separated from Him, He had to kick them out of the garden. But God had a plan to give all of us access to the tree of eternal life, but much would have to happen first, for all sin has its consequences. Some sins, as you know, affect the sinner directly. And some consequences affect those who are innocent and unrelated to the sinner. People often ask, why is there such bad stuff in the world? Because there's sin in the world. Why do innocent people die and innocent people get hurt? Because someone someone else sins, and sometimes our sins affect others besides just us. In fact, oftentimes they do. We still have a sin nature that operates in us today as a result of Adam and Eve eating from the forbidden tree. And we cannot overcome this sin nature by ourselves. What this means is we do not have access to eternal life in our current state. No matter what you do, no matter how much you give, no matter how much in our current state, we do not have access to that tree of eternal life. There's only one way to gain access. The Bible says we must be born again. John 3, verse 3, says this. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. God sent Jesus into the world to die and to pay the penalty for our sins, giving his innocent and perfect life as a ransom for ours. And as we accept this sacrifice, the blood of Jesus covers our sins and gives us access to that tree of life once again. But understand that even though God gives us this tree of life through Christ, just like Adam and Eve, we are surrounded by that which is forbidden as well. And that same serpent, the devil, the evil one, still tempts all of us all the time to eat of the wrong trees. How well do you know the trees around you? Every one of us has forbidden trees growing around us. They may be different to each of us, but they all produce the same result. Separation from God. For some have trees of lust, trees of gossip, trees of judgment, trees of overindulgence growing right in their yard, tempting them to partake of their fruit. Some have trees of rage, trees of addiction, trees of shame, and trees of doubt growing nearby. Others have trees of complaining, trees of mocking, trees of perverting the truth. Some trees lack integrity. Some lack patience. Some lack a desire to share Jesus with anyone. Some trees produce only false leaves and false fruit. 
and people are still eating freely of them. The point is that every one of us, every one of us, has forbidden trees around us tempting us to eat of their fruit and pulling us away from the tree of life that God freely gives to those who are willing to obey Him and trust Him. We all have forbidden trees in our midst. They are what trip us up individually or what get us off track or what has become a stronghold in our minds and our thoughts and in our lives. Now understand this, that the way that the enemy gets us to eat of of forbidden trees in our lives is to erase the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 9 verse 10 says it this way, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. The Bible declares that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So if the devil can erase the fear of God, then from the very beginning of your walk, from the very beginning of what you do, of anything you do, he starts feeding you his wisdom. And excuse my language, but it ain't good. As we look at society today, we see not only the government and the social movements, but also ministers and ministries and modern translations of the Bible trying to convince us that we should not have a fear of the Lord. They said it's bad to fear and you shouldn't have a fear of God and that's not really what God meant. Of course it's what He meant. This is not just one person's fault or one movement's fault. This is the work, understand this, this is the work of the enemy. It's the same thing that he did way back in the garden. He convinced Adam and Eve not to fear what God had said. Genesis 3, verses 4 and 5. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. Don't be afraid. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. You see, what the enemy was doing was erasing the fear of God. If you can see that, you'll understand what's happening in the world today. Way back in the garden, he started to erase the fear of God. And he started to mischaracterize the consequences of disobeying God. But let me clarify one thing. We are not to be scared of God. The fear of God does not mean that we're afraid of God. We're not supposed to be scared of God. But we should fear disobeying Him, just like we fear disobeying our parents because of the consequences that followed disobedience. That's what the fear of God means. We are to come to God and to love God and to boldly come to Him by grace, not be afraid of Him, but afraid of the, but we should fear the consequences of, of outrightly disobeying Him. Real consequences happen when we disobey. Just as Adam and Eve found this out immediately. Satan uses these same tactics on us today. He tempts us to sin and tells us, don't worry about it, there's no consequences. We'll, we'll, we'll get away with it. God loves everyone. Jesus has already forgiven the entire world of all of our sins. We shouldn't have to fear God. That's what the enemy tells us, continually trying to erase the fear of God. 
He tempts us into thinking that there's no consequences for our sins, especially if no one finds out about it. Right? If you think it's a sin and you don't act on it, don't worry. I'm not going to share the name, but we had someone that used to go to our church that when I preached on thinking bad thoughts and have bad motivations of the heart is sin, the person is no longer with us. Said I was lying. Well, that's what Jesus said. If you lust after someone in your heart, then you've committed adultery. That's sin. And so the, the enemy kind of tells us that if we, if you just think about it, it's not a sin. If you're a bad motivation in your heart, it's not sin. If no one knows about it and you do it in secret, it's not sin, so go ahead and do it. That's what he tells all of us all the time. There are many, many people who believe they are Christians and are going to church, but they've lost the fear of God or they never had it to begin with. They were sold on a non-biblical view of God that was all about happiness and joy and peace without ever considering the destruction and the danger of sin. And we know based on the experiences in the garden that without the fear of God, to keep us on the narrow path and to keep us obeying God, then we are all susceptible to the temptation of the forbidden trees in our lives. But also understand that Satan doesn't just erase fear because we all have a sinful nature. And so because we have a sinful nature, we are all prone to fear something. We all fear something. So what does Satan do? Well, let's look at biblically what he does. In the book of Acts, chapter 13, verses 9 and 10, look at this exchange. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, O full of all deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness. Will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? You see, only God can create something out of nothing. God said, let there be light, and there was light. God creates by His spoken word. Regardless of what anyone has told you, Satan cannot create something out of nothing. He does not have this ability. The only way that Satan can make something is to take something that God has already created first and twist it through lies and deception. Here's a great example. God created music so that He could be worshipped. Look what the enemy has done to music today and our culture. Now, we still use music and it's formed to give glory to God, but there's been so many perversions of music. God created dance, the dance before Him in, 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 in humility, and, and the world has perverted dance. King David danced when he brought the Ark of the Covenant in to Jerusalem. So there's things that God has created for His glory, but the world has taken it, and the enemy has twisted it, and in perverting, he perverts the straight ways of the Lord. Satan literally exists to pervert, pervert the straight ways of the Lord. You see, God gave us the fear of the Lord to provide a straight way to Him. But Satan has done his best to erase our fear of God through politically correct and social movements, 
through compromised Bible teaching, through some modern watered-down translations, and through whatever means necessary, he will continue to try to pervert the straight ways of God. But understand this. He has not erased fear. Satan has just caused us to fear other things besides God. That's how he has you captive. He causes us to fear the things of the world instead of fearing God. What do people fear right now? I'll tell you. They fear the economy. They fear inflation. They fear the housing market. They fear the wars and conflicts around the world. They fear nuclear war. They fear all the new diseases and illnesses. They fear social movements. They fear the government. They fear being on the wrong side of a political argument. In other words, they fear everything except God. Obviously, this is not one person's fault or one movement's part fault. This is the work of the Antichrist. Now, many people get confused and they think that the Antichrist is a certain person, but the Bible says the spirit of the Antichrist is in the world now. It means anything that is anti or against Christ. This is the enemy's work. And he tries to get us off task by having us go against other people and blaming other people when he's saying your, your struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's against the powers in the dark places. It's the enemy's work that's causing this disruption. In fact, Jesus taught this in a parable. Matthew chapter 13, verse 24. Another parable Jesus put forth to them saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed into his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares, or weeds, among the wheat and went his way. Verse 26, But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, the tares or the weeds also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed into your field? How then does it have tares or weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. The servant said to him, Do you want us to go and gather them up? But he said, No. Lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, First, gather together the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them. But gather the wheat into my barn. Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house. And his disciples came to him saying, Explain to us, teacher, the parable of the tares of the field. How about you? Do you understand this parable by Jesus? Do you know its significance in light of the days that we are currently living in today? You see, there are parables that Jesus gave for such a time as this. Verse 37, Jesus answered and said to them, 
He who sows the good seed is the Son of Man, speaking of Himself. The field is the world. And the good seeds are the sons of the kingdom. The sons and daughters of the kingdom. That's the good seed. But the tares are the sons of the wicked one. If you've ever wondered why you're here today, not just in church, but why you God chose of all the expansive time to choose to have you live now and in this area. It's because God has purposely and intentionally planted His sons and His daughters into the world to spread His kingdom, to teach His truth, and to be Jesus to the world. To demonstrate forgiveness, to love others, to spread the good news, to show that we are not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus chose each one of us individually and intentionally to plan us in to the kingdom. To be a light in this present world of darkness. To provide hope in a time of despair. And to come together as the body of Christ around the world. Verse 39. Jesus continued His explanation. He said, The enemy who sowed them, these bad seeds, these tares, the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is at the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out His angels, and they will gather out of His kingdom all things that offend, and those who practice lawlessness will cast them into the furnace of fire, and there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. We must also acknowledge the work of the enemy. For he too has sown wickedness into the places where we work, into places where we live, into places where we seek God. And yet many people wonder why God has not immediately uprooted all the evil. Why is He not getting rid of all the naysayers, the outright sinners, and the bad people of this world? Yet what God is imploring us to consider is the fact that if God were right now to judge all that is bad, then many people who are called to be part of the kingdom would be taken away as well. What Jesus is trying to convey in the clearest way possible is that many are tangled up in the affairs of the world. The wheat is growing intermingled with the tares. There are many who have been called to follow God, but their hidden sins, their impure motives, or their half-hearted devotion has caused them to be tangled with the weeds and the tares. If God were to pull the weeds right now, too many of us would be uprooted as well. This is a serious warning. This is the kind of warning that John the Baptist gave when he spoke to anyone who was willing to listen. He said, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. So with great compassion and great urgency, Jesus now speaks to those who would hear and respond, who would be convicted by His words, by telling us the truth of this parable imploring us not to assume that He's talking about your neighbor or the person next to you or the person who lives down the road or your enemy. 
but to look inward, each one of us, at our own hearts and our own lives. A Spirit-led examination of the Word of God takes every thought into consideration. Do you remember when Jesus was at the Last Supper? And He said to His disciples, He said, one of you right now will betray Me. Do you remember how they reacted when He said, one of you will betray Me? They didn't say, I know it's Him or I know it's you or it must be you. That's not what they said. They turned to Him and they said, is it I, Lord? Is it Me, Lord? I don't want Me, Lord, but is it Me? They humbled themselves. They considered, is it possible that I am the one? Is it possible that I am betraying God in some way? We must all take His words to heart. We must all consider what part of this message is about me, is about my thoughts or my motivations or my devotion. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 31 and 32 says this, if we would just judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. If we would just be honest and say, God, is it me? What part of me is off? What part of me has eaten that forbidden tree? What part of me has become weak? What part of me has disobeyed you or not believed you? What part, God? Because I don't want to get rid of it. I know I'm not perfect. I have a sinful nature and I'm going to sin, but God, I want You to cleanse me. Your Word says that if I confess my sins to You, then You are faithful and just that cleanse me of all my sins. Forgive me of all my sins and cleanse me of all unrighteousness. But that comes by us being humble. Is it I, Lord? Is it I? God, take that from me. And God does, if we're honest. We often fail to realize how fortunate we are to have an opportunity to reflect, to self-evaluate, so that we might repent and be forgiven by God if we would just judge ourselves and be honest with God, how much better would it be for us on this side of eternity as well as on the other side? Verse 43, Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. It says the righteous, you know, our righteousness does not come from us. We're still going to mess up. We're still going to sin. We're still going to blow it. But if we confess our sins and we, and we go to God and say, is it I, Lord? Then we receive His grace. We receive His righteousness. He died for us. And because we received His righteousness, not because we're perfect, but because we're honest and humble, when we receive His righteousness, then it says that we will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of our Father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. What causes us to hear the truth of God's Word and the truth about the consequences of His warnings is whether or not we still begin with the fear of the Lord to obey Him and to follow Him. But if we disregard the fear of the Lord and instead buy into the enemy's lies and deceptions, we fear everything except God. 
The truth is that the enemy has sowed bad seeds or bad weeds in amongst the seeds. And now people don't even know the good from the bad. How many times have you said to yourself, I don't even know what truth is in the world today. It's hard to know who to trust. It's because the enemy has done this. He's tried to erase the fear of God. So we don't, it's hard to tell. But you know the biggest reason why people don't know the good from the bad? It's because we're not in the Bible like we're told to be. Joshua 1.8 says this, The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Now, I don't know about you, but when I see what it says day and night, I don't think that just means one day a week. It means every day we are to have His Word always in our mouths and always in our minds, not out of obligation, but out of love. Gosh, I want to know the, God, I want to know the way out there. I want to know where to walk and when to stand and who to sit and not who to sit with. I want to continue to God. I need Your Word. I want to be in Your Word. His Word protects us from the temptations of the enemy and gives us discernment of the truth instead of the perverted truth of the world. We need His Word in us at all times. Psalm 119.11 It's a beautiful truth from King David. He said, Your Word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. The way that His Word is hidden in our hearts is by daily meditating and daily studying His Word. There's a lot of ways that you can study His Word. We offer different opportunities. I know not everyone comes, but we offer different opportunities. Whether it's our men's Bible study at 10 a.m. on Tuesdays, our women's Bible study at 10.30 a.m. on Thursdays, our adult Bible study before church on 10 a.m. downstairs, our new Wednesday teaching on 6.30 on Wednesdays. And there's many places you can go. I know some other people have Bible studies or studies with other people. Not about this church. It's about getting together with like-minded believers to encourage one another with the Word. But if you don't do anything, if you don't seek to know God more, then are you listening to the warning that's given for such a day right now? It's by gathering together with like-minded believers and the disciples of Jesus Christ. It's by attending prayer meetings and Bible studies to learn all we can about the Word of God and His instructions for us. All the more as we see the end approaching. It's by getting involved in a church that does not compromise the Word of God. It's by submitting ourselves to the Holy Spirit so that He can continually continue to convict us and continually explain to us and enlighten our minds about the truth of Jesus and the Word of God. I will tell you, if you spend any time looking for other churches, there are a lot of churches that don't teach the truth. There are a lot of churches that give watered-down messages. There's a lot of churches that give fluff messages because they're trying to attract people instead of change hearts for His kingdom. Now, there's a lot of good churches out there as well. But we should be seeking the truth of Jesus through the Holy Spirit. Jesus knows that we are confused right now. He knows that the prince of the air otherwise known as the devil, 
as the Bible calls him, the father of lies. He knows that he's up to his tactics. He knows that this serpent of old has poisoned even perverted teachings in some churches. He knows that there is great confusion and that as sheep we are often led astray. Which is why Jesus, out of his love, introduced a third tree. 1 Peter 2.24 Jesus, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. Jesus bore our sins on the tree. We know that tree as the cross. That tree is a symbol of what redeems us. The blood of Jesus shed for us pays the penalty of our sins. There should be no denying the trees in our lives. The tree of life, stands in the middle of God's will, just as it grew in the middle of the garden. The tree of temptation, that forbidden tree, is also nearby. The enemy has sown this into the world around us. It leads us, if we eat of its fruit, to eternal damnation if we keep eating of its fruit without responding to conviction. And the tree of redemption... The tree of redemption, this third tree, that we know as the cross, it makes it possible for to us to access that first tree, the tree of life. How we view and how we identify with each of these trees determines where we are with God. If you say, there's, there's no forbidden trees around me, then you're fooled. We need to understand this there, but understand that God's tree is the strongest if we obey Him. Our tree identification determines our eternity. And when we are planted by rivers of living water, just like our brother talked about last week, when we're planted by rivers of living water that teach the uncompromised Word of God, that teach the whole gospel message of repentance and forgiveness and restoration and redemption, we come to understand and receive God's perfect love. We understand while the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, leading us to repentance and how we view sin, we can now walk in the light of His love by His grace where there is no fear of the world. And once we have received God on His terms, we receive His perfect love. 1 John 4.18 there is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves torment, but he who fears has not been made perfect in love. You see, though the enemy may continually tempt us to eat of the forbidden tree of fear, it is of no consequence to someone who has been made perfect and incomplete of God's love. Our fear does not stand a chance when we stand in His perfect love. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your perfect love. We thank You, Lord God, as we have the fear of the Lord for the beginning of wisdom. It keeps us on the narrow path. And then once we've been perfected by Your love and have been forgiven, our sins have wiped away that you hold us in the palm of your hands and your word says that no one can pluck us 
from your hand when we began the right way. So Lord God, no matter what temptations the enemy throws at us, no matter what trees he tries, a forbidden trees he tries to plant around us, let us not fear the world. Our fear does not stand a chance in your love. We thank you for making us perfect and through your love by perfecting us. And even when we mess up and even when we mistake, God, you forgive us and you give us grace to continue on. We thank you for the joy we have in you. May you bless us, Lord God. May we be your light in this world of darkness. May we not be led by anger, but led by your love. Thank you to bless us in your precious and holy name we pray. Amen.